0: All right. Welcome back to Rockford Reading Daily. This is episode 34. We are currently reading Citizens, Cops, and Power by Steve Herbert. We are on the introduction and let's dive back into it. The meaning of the, the meaning of community. Community policing, when put into practice, makes a conflation between community and neighborhood. There is an implicit presumption that urban neighbors share common problems of crime and disorder. They should therefore organize at the scale of the neighborhood and address their problems through productive relations with the police. Of course, police departments do recognize local groups that organize at larger scales, but the neighborhood scale is critical. This conflation between community and neighborhood can be considered problematic. That is because many people do not understand community as spatially bounded. Urban residents often seek community outside their neighborhood. No longer necessarily tied to locales for critical support such as employment, shopping and child care. Urban, urban establish wide network of social association, particularly if they are economically comfortable. In terms of politics, Even, quote, grassroots, end quote, oriented political organizers in American cities often work consciously to extend their lines of affiliation across many foe neighborhoods. Indeed, to recognize that urban residents as citizens possess political agency is to underscore their capacity to choose the communities with which they affiliate. Yet this argument can be overstated. Territorial connections remain regnant for many urban dwellers. Those who live next to one another, as Albert Hunter evocatively notes, are bound by, quote, the common fate of shared space, end quote. <clears throat> as Robert Sampson puts it, quote, local community remains essential as a site for the realization of common values and support of social goods, including public safety, norms of civility, and mutual trust. of eff- 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 officious, I know this word and I'm just not pronouncing it right. Aficious voluntary associations and collective socialization of the young, end quote. Most importantly for my analysis, the conflation between community and neighborhood is quite common in urban political projects. If a group is organized around a localized problem such as crime, community is often treated as an analog to neighborhood. This obviously occurs in the case of community policing and in other instances where localized democracy is heralded. It is therefore essential to consider the extent to which a neighborhood is experienced as a community and to ask whether any such community can bear the weight that projects that projects like community policing place upon it. So even if many urban residents do not necessarily circumscribe, quote, community, "quote territorially, many government agencies do with the range of considerable consequences I explore. Outline of the book. My analysis suggests that community is all too often unbearably light in two respects. First, community is not a sufficient support for the political responsibilities it is often meant to assume. Urban residents do not typically wish for the neighborhoods to act in a politically robust manner. Further, Even when they are inclined to organize collectively, they see clear limits on the potential effectiveness of any neighborhood group. Thus, urban neighborhoods cannot bear the weight of responsibility that programs like community policing are meant to place upon them. Second, communities are usually light in terms of political voice. Even when members of neighborhood groups are able to articulate a concern, either individually or collectively, they can expect to encounter a largely unresponsive state apparatus. This reality is hardly a function of solely of the, this, excuse me, this reality is hardly a function solely of the organizing ability of urban neighborhoods. Rather, it results primarily from the internal operations and cultural orientations of state agencies like the police. As I will make plain Various internal dynamics limit the capacity of the police to engage in genuine partnerships with community organizations. Community requests thus resonate less as a shout than as a whisper. Given this political likeness, I suggest that community should not typically be seen as an effective carrier of our hopes for localized democracy. I use the analysis of the data to substantiate this claim in the chapters that follow. I start in chapter one by comparing normative visions of community with those articulated by residents. Here I document a significant disjuncture between the normative and the empirical. Residents events a surprisingly hegemonic vision of community, one that is not well captured by normative theorists. This suggests a need to reexamine the sources of legitimacy for communal governance. Chapter two explores the political capacity of community in greater depth. Here, the residents outline various factors they cite to explain their pervasive pessimism about any such political potential. Not surprisingly, the constraints on communal efficacy, efficacy, fall more heavily on poorer neighborhoods. This suggests that efforts to devolve power to local communities might reinforce existing class-based differences. Chapter three shifts the focus from the community to the state, in particular to the police. I outline there how conflicting demands for legitimacy place the police in an awkward position vis-a-vis the citizenry as different ideals, subservience separation, generativity, push the police to pursue different paths to make themselves politically palatable. I show how these modes are evident in everyday actions and how they are perpetually in tension with one another. My analysis shows that the narrative of separation possesses great resonance in the police's social world and underwrites a robust resistance to community policing. I explore this further in chapter four, where I examine those cultural orientations and practices of the police that most potently shape their approach to the citizenry. Collectively, these dynamics lead officers to resist many of the dicta of community policing, most notably the ideal of communal eff- efficacy. Chapter five examines citizen assessments of the police and a police community interaction. I review how citizens implicitly accept the reality that the police are simultaneously subservient, separate and generative, and also how they frequently frustrate it when subservience is thwarted. These assessments illustrate how separation and generativity often diminish citizens' voice and reduce their capacity to influence officer action. Finally, in Chapter 6, I review and summarize the analysis with the aim of making broader claims about what the data tells us about the viability of community policing as an important instance of the broader goal of making neighborhood based organizations viable political actors. I suggest the need to rethink and perhaps abandon community policing as a reform movement. Its promise is unlikely ever to be realized. Further, community policing raises provocative questions about the roles of the state, community and the relation between the government and the governed. These questions are inescapable and deeply normative. They are thus worthy of our continued attention. It is a mistake to believe that the community can bear the political weight that projects like community policing place upon it, particularly in urban neighborhoods in distress. Further, the term, quote, community, end quote, can often generate confusion, particularly in terms of its implications for state society relations. Any way forward needs to take cognizance of the realities of contemporary urban life and of the normative confusion that surrounds the invocation of community. And that brings us to the end of the introduction and to the beginning of chapter one, the terrain of community. Uh, Let's see where to start. I think where I want to start for my uh, reflection on that first on the first piece that we've read in this book, the introduction is on. Uh, com- the word community. Uh, I think that one of the things that is very important about so far what Steve Herbert is uh, illustrating is the disconnect between not only the citizens and the state when it comes to the definition of community, but even the disconnect between different citizens in the same city, in the same area of what community means. Uh, I think one of the things that he pointed out, which is I've, I guess I've considered, but I've never uh, articulated before. And I think that that's one of the things that is very important about doing reading is that uh, a lot of times we have thoughts or we consider things, but we don't really articulate those things or we don't maybe know the right way to articulate those things. And uh, I believe that reading uh, helps to find ways helps us to uh, figure out ways to articulate those things Uh, but one of the things that he spoke about is the difference between uh, neighborhood or living in close proximity and community he points out how uh, people sometimes go outside of their the immediate neighborhood or the immediate locale that they live in to find community Uh, and I think that that is something especially when you think of when you uh, think about how Uh, different our living circumstances are now than what they were 100 years ago or 70 or 50 years ago, where even though a lot there are still very many cities that are segregated, there is also very many cities as well where there is more integration in the cities than it used to be. And so there are black people who live in areas where everybody around them is white or a lot of people around them are white or where the majority of people around them uh, are not black. And so for them, community might not mean uh, the person that uh, is their uh, neighbor to their right or to their left. Uh, Community to them may mean people who live on a different side of town or live in a different area of town. Uh, So I think that that's one of the things that's important. I think also uh, the difference that uh, when he speaks about How uh, community, especially distressed communities, uh, cannot be expected to uh, bear the burden that is being asked of them when it comes to programs like community policing is very poignant as well, too. Uh, When we think about. The fact that uh, when we uh, specifically the black community or uh, working class communities or poor communities are dealing with the generational effects of police, terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice are dealing with the generational effects of violent crime, the generational effects of miseducation. uh, It is unfair to ask them to bear some type of burden in correcting these things uh, when they have been the victim of the institutions that have perpetuated these things and so uh, i think a lot of times uh we don't put the proper uh uh we don't put the proper emphasis on institutions that we should we put a lot of emphasis on individuals or emphasis on uh people's family or home life, or people's value system but we don't take the time to uh evaluate how institutions have directly uh negatively impacted people's families or negative, uh, negatively impacted people's value system or negatively negatively infa- impacted uh the culture of certain communities uh and then the re- some uh, some of the other things in the chapter at the end of this passage that we just read of this uh the introduction was him explaining how the different things he's going to speak about in uh, separate chapters uh uh so let's dive into uh chapter one the terrain of community. <clears throat> so there's just different levels of involvement. And I think a strong community would be everybody knows everybody. Everybody says hello to everybody. It's kind of like a feel good 1950 type of situation. And, you know, growing up, I knew everybody on my block. In fact, not just the street, the block. <laughs> Excuse me. I knew everybody's kids. They knew exactly who everybody was. Everybody's family knew everybody else's family and there was such an involvement. Everybody went to the same school. You saw the same people, the same parents at these functions. It was just really great. But that was the 60s. This is different now. Andrew, Midlands resident. I know that sounds kind of silly, but I really feel it's important for everybody to experience what a community is supposed to be about. And some people don't have any idea what it means to go say hi to your neighbor. When I was a kid, everybody knew everybody. But now with busing and logistics and working, it's different than it used to be in the old days. We don't have that same sense anymore. And I don't know how we as a city can get there. Gene, Eastside resident. How can cities, quote, get there, end quote, in Gene's words? How can they attain a situation where residents of urban neighborhoods know and appreciate one another? Is it even possible for urban families to have the experience recalled by Andrew where they know, quote, everyone else's family, end quote, in the immediate area in which they live, where there is, quote, such an involvement, end quote, with neighbors, lives? What impediments lie in the way of these ideals? And even if these impediments could be removed, should these ideals be pursued? The philosophy of community policing, one popular instance of a drive toward greater communal governance, presumes that these ideals can and should be pursued. Its legitimacy rests upon the apparently unassailable assertion as. Dang, one second. Oh, man, I done missed the page. Hold on one second. My fault, y'all. Okay. Its legitimacy rests upon the apparently unassailable assertion that urban citizens should come together to exert dominion over their neighborhoods. Security is often a collective good and thus it should sensibly be pursued and reinforced collectively via a process that marries the formal weight of the police with the informal dynamics to particular locales. Once organized, Communities should articulate a common voice to which policymakers should respond. Two normative assumptions, two normative assertions are being made here. One is that communities should construct themselves as political actors. The other is that the state should recognize them as such. One normative vision concerns the political status of community. The other, the state community relations. A critical integra- interrogation of the desirability and possibility of such communal governments projects is man. My fault, man. This is this has been a rough read this episode. I'm sorry. I do not know what is what's going on. A critical interrogation of the desirability and possibility of such communal governance projects as community. Poly- Damn, what is happening? My fault. This shit is horrible. A critical interrogation of the desirability and possibility of such communal governance projects as community policing must necessarily step back and assess these normative visions. To evaluate community policing's possibilities and legitimacy, we must hold these often implicit assumptions up to scrutiny. In this chapter, I begin this process by assessing the various significances ascribed to the term, quote, community, end quote. When we gain analytic distance from the rosy scenario of cohesive and politically capable communities, two sets of questions assert themselves. One set involves this normative vision of community. What informs this vision? What are its assumptions, proscriptions, weaknesses? Are these various such visions and how do they contrast? Are there various such visions and how do they contrast? In short, How do we understand and assess various depictions of the ideal community? The second set of questions addresses how community is actually envisioned by residents of urban communities. Even if certain normative visions of community possess luster, do they jibe with the version of community that residents envision and enact in their daily behavior? How does the normative compare with the actual? I pursue each of these sets of questions in the four sections of this chapter. In the first section, I seek to explain the resilience of community as a social and political ideal and to document how it came to be idealized in the now hegemonic project of community policing. Much of the seductiveness of community policing rests upon a largely unexamined romanticization of the small scale democracy that neighborhoods can ostensibly create. In the second section, I explain how normative visions of community and its political potential are by no means uniform. I do this by elaborating three principal normative visions. Two of these develop what I term a, quote, thick, end quote, version of community, that each desire for community a robust role in social life, although they differ in an important way. The third is more than a, quote, thin, end quote, version, wary as it is of the exclusivity and majoritarianism community might entail. I review these three visions by explicating the assumptions upon which they build and the proscriptions they assert. The third section draws extensively upon the interview data and reviews how the respondents talked about community. It becomes apparent that the common vision they express does not conform neatly with any of the above. It is a vision that is neither especially thick nor especially thin. What people want is a fundamental sense of connection and familiarity, but not in the pursuit of any larger set of values or political ideals. Rather, residents desire a feeling of security that derives from knowing one's neighbors well enough to be able to predict their actions. Their shared inhabitation of neighborhood space means that residents experience a collective need to protect each other from needless needless vulnerability. But this does not translate into a broader political project. In the final section, I again mind the resident interviews to outline those factors that citizens believe maximize their feelings of security within the spaces they inhabit. Most critical here is property ownership. Residents hope for neighbors who demonstrate permanence and pride in ownership, qualities they believe renters commonly lack. Other glues include children, schools and regular outdoor encounters. These characteristics, importantly, are more commonly found in neighborhoods of economic advantage, a point that will emerge with greater force in Chapter 2, where I consider the hindrances to community cohesiveness and political effectiveness. For now, the goal is to contrast the normative and the actual, the idealized visions of community and those articulated by citizens. As I demonstrate, the discrepancy between romanticized depictions of community governance and the actual desires of citizens is significant. This discrepancy should give us considerable pause in assessing projects like community policing and should also cause us to wonder if urban neighborhoods can bear the weight of extensive self-governance. To see why this is the case, I begin by exploring just why community and community policing possess such political potency. Uh, I think one of the things that stands out the most from there is when uh, <clears throat> Steve Herbert speaks about the difference between uh community policing and or community and theory and actual community uh and i think that that's something that's very true for a lot of the uh issues that we face in a society right now is that uh there's a, a wide disconnect and a wide gap between uh how people imagine some of these issues or how people imagine solving some of these issues and the reality of these issues or the realities that come with solving these issues. Uh, and I think that uh, we have to do the job of, of of bridging that gap of. Of Yeah, we have to do the job of bridging that gap uh, here. Let's continue. Why community? Why community policing? And it is easy to see why the word, quote, community, end quote, feels good. Who would not wish to live among friendly and well-wishing people whom one could trust and on whose words and deeds one could rely? For us in particular, who happen to live in ruthless times, times of competition and one-upmanship, when people around us seem to keep their cards close to their chest and few people seem to be in any hurry to help us when in reply to our cries for help we hear admonitions to help ourselves when only the banks eager to mortgage our possessions are smiling and wish to say quote yes end quote and even they only in their commercials and not their branch offices the word quote community end quote sounds sweet what that word evokes is everything we miss and what we lack to be secure confident and trusting Zygmunt Bauman, Community Seeking Safety in an Insecure World As Zygmunt Bauman suggests, community is clearly a word that feels good. It certainly sits at the center of many normative visions of the good life. It implies, at minimum, a degree of fundamental social connection that provides a shield against the unpredictable vagaries of modern existence. In more expansive visions, it provides a vehicle through which we can develop and actualize a range of goods and values. We can draw closer to God. We can develop our potentials as a musician, a writer, a parent. We can strive collectively to assist others. In terms of politics, community can serve as a principal means to protect protect an existing way of life against possible change. Alternatively, Community can be a tool to try to create arrangements that more closely actualize such co- commonly held values as justice, equality and fairness. Community is an elusive yet potent ideal in American social and political discourse. It is a focus of everyday concern, of sociological analysis, of efforts to revitalize politics. It is something potentially to be experienced daily as one engages others in the minutia of daily life and the shared responsibilities of raising children, maintaining property, and tending to the disadvantaged. It can reinforce connection as it helps people to meet basic needs or to pursue common interest. It can provide senses of belonging and direction, and it can be mobilized by a neighborhood to address such collective concerns as crime, property, maintenance, and development. In its social dimension, it provides a communal grounding in its political dimension, a collective heft for a group's interest. Both these ideals possess long-standing legitimacy. As the interviewees quoted above indicate, there is a frequently expressed nostalgia for the, quote, good old days, end quote, when one knew one's neighbors via relations of familiarity and stability. This nostalgia is not just popularly expressed, but it is a central theme in modern sociology. For early sociologists like Ferdinand Tönnies and Emil Durkheim, the challenge of modernity concerned the shift from close-knit rural societies to more socially differentiated urban centers, from Gemeinschaft to Gesellschaft, from mechanical to organic solidarity. As Nisbet noted, community is "quote the most fundamental and far-reaching of sociology's unit ideas." End quote. Much work in urban sociology has focused on the extent to which something called, quote, community, end quote, can remain extant in the modern city. And if so, whether that community is localized or spatially dispersed, dispersed. Certainly, a sense of loss motivates many analyses undertaken in the name of communitarianism a movement of both theory and politics that seeks to restore and make politically legitimate the bonds arguably only produced and reinforced via communal connections. From both academic and popular literature, one hears frequent complaints about how the hegemonic status of individualism and the various complications of daily life increasingly leave urban residents disconnected from one another and hence poorly able to act as palliative or political collective. Why this persistent longing for community? Part of the explanation must lie with our basic need for social connection. Community can thus be understood as an end in itself, a form for making friends and establishing bonds. Further, such a community can help us meet basic needs. Who does not want a neighbor from whom one can can cage the occasional cup of sugar, the half hour of emergency babysitting, the advice, or the tool to make a home improvement project successful. Beyond this, communal groups can be the indispensable for for the realization of treasured values or the development of varying interests. In this way, communities are necessary for the ongoing pursuit of a life of meaning and exploration. Political efficacy is one possible goal communities can pursue. Perhaps, some suggest, There is an ingrained and too frequently underdeveloped desire for humans to experience a sense of self-governance. Just as humans are social creatures, they are implicitly political ones as well, with an innate need to exercise as much control as possible over their own lives. This line of argument is captured well in Benjamin Barber's insistence on what he terms, quote, strong democracy, end quote. Barber argues that citizens need to be able to govern themselves in at least some public matters, at least some of the time. Without such political participation, he argues, quote, women and men cannot become individuals, end quote. Given the intrinsic interdependencies of human existence, this participation should occur through communal organizations, Discussions and debates within such organizations present opportunities for individual members to enlarge their understanding of one another and to grow and develop as they seek to forge ways forward together. In such a fashion, citizens can develop together a politics of transformation, invention, and creation. To increase the possibility for such communal communal participation, it makes considerable sense to develop political authority to the lowest possible level. As political units decrease in size, their senses of solidarity and effectiveness should increase. Such smaller scale institutions are more likely to represent the interests of the group and thus to improve the sense of connectedness individuals feel to the collective. From this perspective, then, the good is best pursued through politics namely through active citizenship in a virtuous, localized community. Jeffrey Berry summarizes this idea well, quote, To the most degree feasible, we should engage in face-to-face democracy, working with our neighbors to govern ourselves rather than relying on elective representatives to make decisions on our behalf. Face-to-face participation will make us better citizens by educating us about our communities and teaching us to be tolerant and cooperative, end quote. Such an ideal of collective efficacy is regnant across the political spectrum. Leftists, moderates and conservatives all embrace local groups as a key to political regeneration, as central to any strategy of more overarching change. For a range of political goods in a range of places, Small, small small scale collectives are seen as a viable if not indispensable means for ensuring that citizens are able to advance and protect their interests vis-a-vis larger social forces that might otherwise swamp them uh and then I'm going to come to a stopping point there and do some reflecting i want to see how deep we are in this episode 30 minutes in, okay? So, we'll stop and do some reflecting here, and then the next episode we will pick up. We're still on uh chapter 1. Uh I think <clears throat> uh from totality of everything that I've read from the book, not just the this passage that we read in chapter 1, uh but all everything together. This is the most that I've ever dived into the concept of community. It's the most that I've ever uh had to consider different aspects of the term community what uh uh and, and i think that that's something that's important because the term community policing is something that sort of uh been added to the lexicon as uh of of reformist uh and so i think that uh in an in an important aspect of understanding community policing is understanding community i also think uh based on our the last book we read, which was Race Matters, uh, Cornell West took a lot of time out to uh, speak about community and speak about the implications that uh, culture had on community, to speak about the implications that uh, politics and economics uh, had on community. And so uh, I think it's uh, uh, appropriate that uh, we're now going through and reading a book Which is diving uh, deeper into the uh, idea of community or the ideals or the philosophy of community. Uh, Apart from that, uh, I think one of the other things that stands out to me is uh, the good old days, this concept of the good old days that they keep speaking about or that multiple people spoke about that uh, were interviewed by Steve Herbert for this book, a time when they knew their neighbors better, a time when they knew the people that they live close to uh, better. Uh, and that is uh, a time that was before uh, or not before, but that is when you go back, it's a time when, uh, you know, cities were less uh dense, I think is the word I'm looking for, or when when less people lived on top of each other in cities, when uh, they spoke about, you know, it was more rural uh, uh, areas uh, that existed and I think one of the things that co- has also come along with that this, uh, this lack of feeling of community is that uh, you know, when you speak about the uh, creation of the suburbs, when you speak about redlining, when you speak about, uh, it's a, a wonderful book called the color of law, which really points out a lot about, uh, the de facto segregation and the juror segregation. Uh, but those things had a lot to do with that. The, uh, the lack of care that, uh, went into some of these, uh, neighborhoods or some of these areas, uh, uh, by, uh, by the government forces uh, also has something to do with that uh, lack of community feeling uh, going away. Uh, There's a lot of institutional and political uh, forces that uh, had direct impacts on this lack of community being uh, being there, this lack of community feeling being there. I think another thing that can't be uh, that can't be underestimated in the lack of community feeling is mass incarceration. Uh, the ushering of people, uh, of, of generations of primarily younger people, you know, twenties and thirties in and out of, uh, prisons, uh, has led to, uh, that lack of, uh, community feeling as well. The, uh, the heroin epidemic and the crack epidemics that have uh hit neighborhoods and hit communities uh, hard the uh uh loose gun laws that exist in this uh country which have led to uh, increases in violent crimes uh not just in the last 10 years uh, but these are these things are issues that date back to the 6 to the 50s to the 60s uh and the all of these things have led to this uh destruction of what people once viewed to view this community or the destruction of communities uh and so i think that those are all things that have to be pointed out as reasons why communities community doesn't exist in the manner in which it once did uh, i think that uh What Steve talked about as well is the striving or the desire that people do have for the things that come from community, from the uh, the protect, the feeling of protection from knowing people who live next to you or live in the area that you live in the uh feeling of comfort that you get when you see uh interact with people outside or interact with people who live in the area that you live in or your kids go to the same school or uh your parents went to the same school you go to the same church or your kids on (gasps) excuse me sorry about that kids on the same sports teams all of these things uh lead to a feeling of uh, protection and lead to a feeling of togetherness and collectiveness uh and and uh uh yeah so i'm gonna let's end this episode uh in this episode there uh in this yeah in the episode there we're gonna stop reading here we'll pick up uh on the next episode at this spot i want to ask people to please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on uh please go back and listen to previous episodes of Rotford reading daily uh if you've missed any and uh Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on TikTok. Uh, Again, we put these Rafa Reading daily episodes out to give people, to uh, present people the opportunity every day to embark on their struggle to end police, terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice and to further their struggle to end police, terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. Uh, We outside.